When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Real Vision Crypto. Enjoy today's show. Hey everyone, Weston Nakamura from Real Vision in Tokyo. It is Monday, June 20th, 2022. So as we all know, there's been a lot of volatility in markets writ large, particularly in crypto. Um, And I see a ton of commentary out there on market price action Where's the bottom? If there's a bottom, um, you know, on-chain analysis, all that stuff, right? And meanwhile, all of this commentary is like completely overlooking what I see as um, the clear driver, if not one of the clear drivers of spot BTC since October 2021, when Bitcoin hit its all-time high of $69,000 and then subsequently fell and is still falling. Um, And that driver is listed derivatives, i.e. futures. Uh, and the ETF market. I'm going to lay out what happened big picture with Bitcoin from October 2021 highs until now through the lens of listed derivatives, futures, options, ETFs. Uh, No, these are not the sole drivers. There are no such things as one single driver of any asset, let alone the asset class with the most globally diverse investor base maybe ever. It's critical to know how we actually got to where we are um, and to see things from a different market perspective than what you know we're we're constantly hearing um, repetitively over and over again. So I'm going to look at Bitcoin through the lens of futures and ETFs. BITO, that is the ProShares Bitcoin ETF, the futures backed ETF. All of the ones that listed in the United States are futures backed, but this was the first one to launch um, in the United States. Launched on October 19th, and it took in about 500 million dollars on the first day. The next day, on October 20th, it took in another 500 million, and it was the fastest ETF to uh, launch to hit 1 billion in AUM in history, and good for them. And then, if you look at this, the the inflows into BITO kind of meandered around, you know, just into like the few single-digit millions per day, you know, not much. But then on November 10th, we saw a sudden and massive $1.5 billion single-day inflow into BITO, which is basically 3x the size of launch day. Um, November 10th also marked the very top tick in BITO and indeed in BTC spot at $69,000. Okay, now I also want to take a look at CFTC um, Commitment of Traders Report, which is basically... A weekly, you know, reporting that you have to do as if you are a, a, a futures trader and you have a very large size position, either long or short. Um, and if you do have such a position at a certain threshold, you have to report it to the CFTC and then they publish it weekly and they put you into one of these categories. Asset manager, dealer, leverage fund, other category, whatever it is, right? And you can see like what the net positioning is week to week. Now, if you look at this, you'll see that Asset managers suddenly opened up net long BTC positions, also about one and a half billion notional in size, okay, which again matches 
the BITO inflow size. Okay, so just keep those two in mind. Now, those are very much interrelated, but let's just pick them apart one by one. So your first thought when you look at either the one and a half billion inflow into BITO ETF or the one and a half billion notional net long futures opened up by asset managers, right at all time highs for both of them to be a horrendously shitty trade or horrendously shitty timing, right? Like they they went, you know, there was a one and a half billion of inflow right before all time highs. And furthermore, on the futures positioning side, it seems that asset managers have just held their longs throughout till this day, right? If not increased them as BDC has now dropped 70% since then. And then that might be troubling to see that, you know, even um, after uh, a one-way 70% decline, you know, the asset management community has yet to even liquidate their holdings. And that's like overhanging this sell-off, you know, like capitulation, all that's yet to come because there's still this like long position. Now, let me explain how this world of ETFs and listed derivatives works. And you'll see that in reality, the mechanics uh, paints quite a different picture. Okay. This is going to be the most oversimplified 101 explanation of how ETF creation and redemption, um, how that process works, creation and redemption. If you want to find out more about, you know, how that works, there's plenty of resources out there to do so. And by all means do so. But basically, when there's inflows of capital coming into an ETF, okay, then new ETF shares are created by the ETF provider who works with the institutions that are designated to create these new shares. And the way in which they're created is that these institutions go out and they acquire whatever the underlying asset or the, the basket of assets is um, that comprises this ETF in proportion to how many new ETF units need to be creative. Okay, so let's say when there's a ton of like new inflow of capital coming into XLE, the energy sector ETF, okay? The ETF providers, they take this new cash infusion in exchange for new shares of um, newly created XLE shares. Those new shares of XLE are created by the institutions called authorized participants who go out into the market and they buy up like all the components that make up the XLE index or basket, such as ExxonMobil and Chevron and you know various other shares in proportion of weighting. Um, and they do that in order to deliver new shares of XLE uh, backed by this basket of energy stocks. Um, and then ETF redemptions are the same process, but just in reverse. So ETF shares are effectively dismantled, if you will. The individual components of the ETF um, are sold and the cash proceeds are returned to the ETF redeeming investor. So when BITO, the BTC futures backed ETF, sees a ton of um, capital inflow flooding in as per November 10th that I mentioned, new shares of BITO need to be created. And that means BTC futures contracts on CME need to be acquired. And that's what we saw in the October run-up to new highs, uh, to new all-time highs um, in spot BDC, okay? We saw spot BDC upside that was led by futures and these newly launched Bitcoin futures-backed ETFs, 
which began to acquire futures in order to have these ETF shares available for launch. Okay, this is a key point that I want to repeat. In October 2021, there was a 40 or 45% sudden rally, like from the beginning of October to its all time highs later that month. This was a futures led 40, 50% rally in Bitcoin in the span of about 20 days due to these Bitcoin futures backed ETFs acquiring Bitcoin futures in order to launch their ETFs, which contain Bitcoin futures. In other words, what we saw in October, that 50% rally in 20 days, that was an artificial rally, if you want to think of it that way, okay? This was not new capital rushing into BDC spot, right? Despite like any and every up, you know, up move in BTC spot being celebrated as such. Like this is the problem I have with something like on-chain metrics analysts, right? On-chain metrics are great, right? But the analysts themselves, I mean, they can attribute any up move to some sort of like here comes the real money metric, whatever. Um, and they they also never ever consider looking at like non-crypto cross-asset markets. Okay, so the October rally to new highs that was not real. That was not like a real rally. Meaning prior to this rally, spot BTC was sitting at 40k, and that is where you should really think of as quote fair value if one could determine such a thing. But not like measuring off of that artificial pop. And, like, we're 70% down from there. Who gives a fuck from, like, 69,000? That that was ETFs setting up their business and, like, a bunch of other flows that are running alongside or front-running them. That's all that was. That's why it didn't last. Which means that when we're all, when, like, all of us are measuring Bitcoin is down 70% off its, like, artificial highs... You know, or, or saying like Bitcoin starts 2022 off in bear market territory, down 20% off its like November highs. That November 2021, like 69,000 level is absolutely not where we should be measuring from. Like, who knows what fair value of Bitcoin ever is? Maybe we'll never know, right? But it certainly wasn't fair value um, at near 70K on an ETF creation pump. That I mean, that was just you know, the, the making of a product that did that. So forget 70,000 or 69,000 November 2021 as the highs and forget measuring from that point. So let's just say BTC at 40K, the level that it was before taking off in October to all-time highs and then just falling right back down to it. Let's just say 40K as fair value. Now, with this nonsense 69,000 price uh, out of sight in mind and resetting at 40K as a base price, now take a look at Bitcoin performance. We're hovering flat at 40K, right? Right in line with NASDAQ, percent for percent. NASDAQ was flat for the you know end of calendar year 2021. If you just eliminate that ETF creation bump up and, and subsequent crash, right? Basically, if not for that, Bitcoin would have just been flat along with NASDAQ, which means that Bitcoin hit bear market territory around the same time NASDAQ did in Q1 of this year, not in November of 2021. So indeed, Bitcoin has been tracking the NASDAQ this entire time. It's not like a new phenomenon, really. 
um, if you ignore that like price bump and stop measuring from that artificial high. And then, furthermore, you can see the actual like Bitcoin and crypto specific divergence in May with Terra Luna and all that. Like that's when you start to see the actual crypto specific sell off. But otherwise, it's just you know keeping beta with Nasdaq. Now, back to ETF flows and share creations and redemptions. As I mentioned before, seems like there was a $1.5 billion single-day inflow into BITO and a similar $1.5 billion notional BTC futures net long position opened by asset managers like just right before market top with the ETF flow dwarfing any other day since inception in both inflow and outflow and the asset uh, manager's futures net long still open and still holding firm despite this price collapse. What's up with all that, right? So, I don't know for sure. Here's my best guess. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This was not an ill-timed major long position at all-time highs, now down minus 70%. It's quite the opposite. This was a short position. And not a well-timed short, not just a well-timed short, but rather a market-pressing, downside-triggering short position. Okay? So, let me explain. When you short a stock, you borrow shares from someone who is long, who is willing to lend lend you their shares for, you know, a short period of time in exchange for some borrow fee or rate or whatever, right? And so you borrow shares from somebody, and then you sell the stock, and then, you know, your position is open, and then hopefully the stock falls, and then you buy it lower, thereby covering your positions. So you have to buy to close the position, and then you return the shares at you know to its rightful owner, and you keep the difference in between. That's how shorting works. Now, when you short an ETF, you can do the same and borrow existing ETF shares to sell short, or new ETF shares can be created for the purpose of selling short. This is otherwise known as CTL or create to lend. Okay. Uh, now, unless you're a prime broker or in like securities lending, it's pretty much impossible to know uh, for sure if an ETF's like inflows and subsequent shares created are being used for actual long positions or if they're being created to lend um, and to to be sold short. Take KWeb for example. This is the China Tech ETF that saw a 70% decline in 2021 as Chinese tech stocks got slammed despite about $7 billion in inflows inflows over the same period. So, sure, this can be interpreted as, quote, retail flows are relentlessly coming into Chinese tech shares in a failed effort to buy the dip despite, like, no bottom, you know, found or whatever. Or these are not, like, buy inflows. These are shares of KWeb that are being created in order to short KWeb, and you can see like the volume profile and all that, and it certainly seems that that is the case. Now, 
this create to lend thing, this also works in reverse. Okay. In in other words, so when you see outflows from an ETF um, that had shares created in order to short, they're essentially position closing um, and short covering. That uh, November 10th, 1.54 billion single day inflow into BITO. I believe that that was shares that were created in order to short the hell out of Bitcoin and it did so successfully and it didn't do so timing it perfectly. It was the actual, you know, trigger catalyst. Um, Bitcoin or be it any asset, like I'm not saying that these like short uh, positions are driving the entire flow the entire direction downwards but something like bitcoin people buy because they buy and they sell because they sell and so all you need is just to get something kickstarted in motion and that triggers you know selling begets selling it triggers uh margin calls it triggers stop losses it triggers like a whole bunch of things and, and algos and and so on and so forth and momentum trading so, you know, it doesn't need to do the entire, like, drive down, right? Like, how would you make a profit off of that anyway, right? It just needs to get the kind of avalanche going. And it needs to be like the initial snowball off the top of the hill and then turns into an avalanche, okay? So, um, that is the significance of the ETF share creation and redemption as it relates to BITO, as it relates to Bitcoin Spot. Now... Uh, this create to lend process um, of ETFs that also works in reverse, in which outflows from an ETF um, that you know that that were for shares that were created in order to short are essentially you know redeemed, and that's basically closing a position and short covering. Okay, so we have an example of this from uh, February twenty fourth of this year with a forty million dollar outflow from BITO, which coincided with a five-day 30% rally in spot, or a position closing by short-covering futures and redeeming of BITO shares. If you look actually at May 2nd, you'll see $70 million outflows from BITO that, that was followed by a 20% fall. So in that case, that was money being pulled out of the ETF and, you know, and, and a subsequent fall. There are um, some advantages, some significant advantages of shorting futures-backed ETFs. Um, first of all, when it comes to futures-backed ETFs, just in general, like namely like commodity ETFs, in a normal market, okay, not current ridiculous commodity markets, but in a normal you know market with a futures curve um, in contango, okay, where the futures price is higher than the spot price or the front month contracts. Um, in that sort of normal environment, then holding these like futures back ETFs over the long period, like over, over long periods of time, that ultimately leads to bleeding away all of its value due to the negative roll yields. Every time you roll expiring futures forward, you're paying ever higher costs because the, you're paying for your selling futures, um, that are about to expire and you're buying futures for the next contract that are far more expensive and every time that you do that month after month it eats away at your capital um so what that means is that 
if you're short these structurally declining ETFs, you get that you know that phenomenon working in your favor. So that's an, that's another sort of benefit of being short these sort of. I mean, I guess you could call it a commodity ETF, but these sort of like um, ETFs that have a futures curve that is in uh, contango. Um, and then you can also sidestep or hide, you know, behind like disclosure requirements on large size positions if you're if you work through an ETF. Um, ETFs are also not really subject to um, something like the uptick rule, okay, which makes it easy to get into. Uh, the downside and, and press in rather than wait for it to, you know, have an uptick and then you can, you know, put your position on. And then, of course, with BITO or even with CME Futures, um, you know, you have basically unlimited open interest capabilities. Whereas, I mean, yes, there are limitations for um, these ETF um, these big, these futures back ETFs and how many contracts they can hold. I think it's like four thousand is max right now, um, but still there can be theoretically however many ETF provider you know ETF create um, providers out there, futures back ETF, ETF providers out there, and there could be an infinite number of um, like no limit to how many futures contracts can that can be opened um, on on CME, right? As opposed to Bitcoin spot in which there's obviously a fixed quantity so bito um which by the way is not the only futures backed etf although it is the biggest because it was the first um you know out of the gate as per my clip of this video that i put out when these futures backed btc etfs launched we have the debut of the valkyrie bitcoin strategy etf ticker btf it used to be originally um the ticker btfd and for those who have been living under a rock, BTFD stands for buy the fucking dip, which is a cool way of saying buy low, sell high. Maybe not the sell high part, but buy low, which is a cool way of saying value investing, I suppose. But yeah, BTFD, buy the fucking dip. That's what they tried to register as uh, with the SEC. But then given the provocative name and the fact that it, that name was causing like extra time to review and approve by regulators. And this is a race amongst issuers, you know, because you to grab AUM cannot waste time on some review and approval process. So they ended up dropping the ticker BTFD and instead went with BTF or by the fucking I'm not like a linguist expert, but I, I think they dropped the wrong letter. Um, and BTD, by the way, I looked it up like BTD by the dip, which would be far more appropriate than by the fucking um, also makes grammatically more sense. BTD isn't taken either. BITO is the big dog of the futures backed BTC ETFs in the United States. BITO holds the front two month futures contracts of CME um, Bitcoin futures. Okay. It doesn't hold any micro Bitcoin futures contracts or anything like that. Um, and it posts its holdings on a daily basis. So if you look at this latest as of June 20th, BITO holds 3,485 June uh, Bitcoin contracts and 2,832 July Bitcoin contracts. Uh, for a total of about six hundred million dollars of notional exposure to Bitcoin to to uh, Bitcoin futures, 
Now, let's take a look at CME's latest data on Bitcoin futures. There are currently about 8,500 uh, June contracts of open interest and 3,700 in July open interest, which means BITO currently holds about 41% of all June CME Bitcoin futures open interest and holds three quarters of all July futures open interest. And also note that upon launch of these uh, futures-backed ETFs, CME overtook Binance to become the world's largest BTC futures exchange. CME futures, as well as other futures exchanges um, as well, but CME futures can have, will dictate the price direction of underlying spot Bitcoin. And so... If BITO holds about half of the front month and three quarters of the second month futures contracts on the world's largest Bitcoin futures exchange, then you need to pay attention to BITO and these derivatives if you're concerned with price action of spot BTC. You need to not just be aware of them, but you to try to understand how inflows and outflows are affecting price direction. Um, don't be the that guy blindly thinking all inflows means buying and now all outflows means selling. Obviously, they can be, but obviously, they can be the exact opposite, as I just mentioned. And look, this isn't just theory. As I just walked you through, the October sudden rally to new all-time highs, the blow-off top, the subsequent fall driven by the shorts who are making far more of a killing shorting BITO or CME BTC than they would be shorting NASDAQ because of that 40% extra bump higher that BDC got from which, you know, a higher point to short from, okay? So, I just explained how Bitcoin got, you know, um, to that all-time high in October. That was an artificial, like, product entrance into the market that did that. So, do not measure off of that level. Um, I would suggest using 40K, where, where it was flat with NASDAQ the whole time, right? So, if you look at it from that angle, it could be either good or bad however you want to interpret it, right? It could be good because, oh, so Bitcoin actually didn't fall as much as it did. And it could also be seen as, well, Bitcoin therefore still has a lot more to fall. It's not down 7%, it's only down 50% or whatever it is, right? However you want to interpret it, it's up to you. I don't really care. But don't look at it from that artificial top. With Bitcoin, you're pulling forward so much of the future that of course it's going to trade like a risk asset alongside like the NASDAQ, stocks that don't have cash flow of course it's going to there's nothing wrong with that that's fine that's how that's how it should be right um but that like in this current environment so if that's the case what are those like no cash flow high valuation stocks being affected by what are they moving to or what are they being moved by they're being moved by by and large interest rates what are rates being driven by Rates are being driven by the market's perception and pricing of monetary policy, um, as well as things like market sentiment, market sentiment on FOMO, fear of FOMO, uh, knee-jerk algo reactions to headlines, geopolitical risk, um, market deleveraging by choice, forced deleveraging by prime brokers, by risk managers, by brokers, Stops and limit orders, margin calls, um, options, dealer gamma hedging activity, um, technicals, thinning liquidity, pockets of sudden illiquidity, 
passive vehicles correlating like listed securities and pushing things way out of fundamentals. Uh, systematic flows, cross-asset correlations within systematic flows. Um, active funds, managing for career risk and not for market risk. Uh, momentum and trend-following flows. Need for cash, need for dollars, need for yield, M&A, speculation of M&A, fear, greed, panic, buy the dips, sell the rip, all that stuff, right? These are, like, the crypto is no is, is not exempt from any of that. And the more institutionalized it becomes, the more it becomes part of these structures within, such as the listed derivatives and the ETF structure. Okay, so I hope this was helpful. Um, I hope it gives you a new perspective on how to look at crypto. And as painful as it might be, as long as you're not using leverage, let's welcome the volatility because volatility at the end of the day means free markets, which is something that we are deprived of. Uh, we, especially my generation, uh, has been deprived of all of our lives. Um, and this is the first taste of actual capitalism that we have. And let's not forget how precious that is. And let's try to remember that during the rougher times. Follow me on Twitter at Across the Spread and make sure you're subscribed to both Real Vision Finance as well as Real Vision Crypto. And we will see you soon. And thanks a lot for watching.